Last week, I suggested that the primary role of the church in America should be that of giving disciples more light. And we looked at the Apostle Paul instructing the 12 disciples in Ephesus who were in the dark. They had apparently heard Apollos declaring that Jesus was the Messiah. And as repentant Jews, they had submitted to the baptism inaugurated by John the Baptist, demonstrating a need to cleanse themselves in preparation for the Messianic kingdom. They had not, however, heard how they could be baptized into Jesus to have their sins forgiven and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When they were brought into the light on this matter, they responded and were baptized again, this time not into John's baptism, but into Jesus, sharing in his death, burial, and resurrection. I suggested that is our job today, to give disciples more light. And there are many who need more light concerning the purpose and the mode of Christian baptism. But I do not want to give you the impression that our mission as a church is to merely get people immersed into Christ. Our mission goes far beyond helping disciples gain the assurance of personal salvation. We are to give disciples more light so they can effectively dispel the darkness in their own life, in the lives of others, and in society as a whole. And as we read on in Acts 19, we see this happening. Through Paul's preaching and teaching, he was able to reduce the darkness that held Ephesus and all of Asia in its grip. Greeks and Jews alike gained a new respect for the darkness as they learned how to deal with it effectively through the name of Jesus. And the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed as believers and unbelievers alike began to renounce the darkness and their involvement in it. Let's see how this all happened and see if it can't happen again. We're in Acts 19, verses 8 through 12. And he entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the multitude, he withdrew from them and took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this took place for two years, so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul, so that handkerchiefs and aprons were even carried from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out. Through his preaching and teaching, Paul was able to reduce the darkness in Ephesus and all of Asia. And darkness certainly prevailed in Ephesus when it got there. Superstition, witchcraft, 
and religious prostitution were rampant. It was home to one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the Temple of Artemis, a multi-breasted goddess of fertility. People came from all over the world to indulge in orgiastic worship at this famous pagan temple. And even more people came to buy Ephesian letters, magic parchments that guaranteed to bring safety on a journey or children to the childless or success in love or business. A weird mixture of black arts, astrology, and occult practices had filled the city with priests, magicians, witches, and religious hucksters of every kind, and as a result, the people lived in fear and spiritual darkness. It was to this city that Paul came in the full armor of God to, as he put it in his letter to the Ephesians, struggle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of the darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. He battled spiritual darkness with the light of God's word, and he began, as usual, in the Jewish synagogue. When he had stopped briefly in Ephesus on his first visit, he had found an unusual welcome in the synagogue, and they asked him to stay longer, but he couldn't. Upon his return, he again found them unusually receptive and, and taught them for three months, reasoning with them and persuading many of them concerning the true nature of the kingdom of God. But eventually, resistance developed. Some were becoming hardened and disobedient. They didn't like what they were hearing, because those who live in darkness seldom like to see all that the light exposes. And they began speaking evil of the way, turning those who came to the synagogue against Paul. So he left and took his newly made disciples to the school of Tyrannus, where he reasoned with them daily. Now, we don't know who Tyrannus was, but assume that he was a, a philosopher teacher who had a school in Ephesus. We also don't know if he let Paul teach there because he agreed with what Paul was saying and had become at least sympathetic to the Christian message, or he simply rented out the hall when he wasn't using it. There's some evidence that the latter is most likely. The Western text says Paul used the hall between the hours of 11 and 4, the time when most businesses and schools closed for lunch and the siesta during the hottest part of the day. Now, if that's the case, Paul probably worked as a tent maker or a leather worker in the morning and then taught during the school's downtime. And we know that he did work at his trade while there because he reminded the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, 34 that he had ministered with his own hands for his needs. And he had ministered to the needs of his associates with his own hands, coveting no man's silver or gold. He worked hard. 
He maintained that schedule for two years, working in the morning and perhaps in the evening to support himself and his associates, and then taught during the middle of the day five hours a day. But in those two years, darkness was reduced. In fact, Luke notes that all who lived in Roman province of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. The word spread throughout the whole country. Now, that does not mean that everyone came and learned directly from Paul. But those he taught, taught others. The light was spread by those who came into the light and actually became, as Jesus had said, the light of the world. And as the message spread, darkness was reduced. And the truthfulness of the message was confirmed by extraordinary miracles. Now, I don't know how you distinguish between ordinary miracles and extraordinary miracles. You know, if they're miracles, they are by definition extraordinary. But something happened there that hadn't happened before. Even though it was similar to the healing that took place when the hem of Jesus' garment was touched and people were placed in the shadow of Peter. God was authenticating the validity of the message in extraordinary ways. Now, when it says that handkerchiefs and aprons were carried away from Paul's body and taken to the sick, it doesn't mean that he bought a bunch of little hankies and lacy aprons and blessed them and then sent them out like some modern-day evangelists have been known to do. The word translated handkerchief actually means a sweat rag or a sweatband. And the apron was a workman's apron. Apparently, whenever Paul wiped his face or took off his tool pouch, somebody would pick it up and take it to the sick. And God would use it to confirm the message that they were spreading. Diseases left the sick, and evil spirits went out of the possessed. And I think it's very significant to note that the Bible distinguishes between diseases and possession. You know, some have suggested that the Bible was merely accommodating the superstitions of the day by labeling unexplained diseases as demon possession. But as we'll see next, possession was and is real. And if we're going to dispel the darkness, we better respect it for what it is. Verses 13 through 17. But also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to name over those who had the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. And seven sons of one Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house 
naked and wounded. <laughs> this became known to all, both Jews and Greeks, who lived in Ephesus. And, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Now, this would be a funny scene if it wasn't so serious. And, you know, attempting to exercise demons is serious business. Just this last June, a father in Virginia was sentenced to 20 years in prison for killing his two-year-old daughter during an attempted exorcism. It can be very dangerous. Well, what happened here wasn't nearly that tragic. The exorcists didn't kill anyone. They were simply found incompetent by the evil spirits. Now, while exorcisms do take place today, I even understand that the uh, Catholic bishop in Springfield did some kind of exorcism this week in response to the signing of the same-sex marriage law by Governor Quinn. They were much more common in biblical times. Jesus cast out demons, and the apostles were empowered to do so. And they could apparently pass that power on to others as they did with Philip. But I can find no record of the authority to command demons to leave being given to us. I'll make no mistake, demons are still in existence. And they can still influence and even possess individuals who don't have the spiritual resources to resist them. And they can be overcome by the surrender to the Lordship of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm convinced of that. But I do not believe we can exercise them today, even though some claim to have the power and may even appear to have the power to do so. And we have to remember that just as Satan can appear as an angel of light, so can demonic powers give the appearance of being under someone's power if it serves their purpose. Well, the seven sons of Sceva were Jewish exorcists who traveled around claiming to have the power to drive out evil spirits. And the most common method of exorcism was to demand spirits to leave using the name of some spiritual force deemed more powerful than the spirits. And since Jews knew the unspeakable name of Yahweh, it wasn't unusual for some of them to become exorcists, especially when they lived in a demonic society such as existed in Ephesus. And when the sons of a chief priest saw the extraordinary miracles that were being performed by the hand of Paul in the name of Jesus, they decided to add the name of Jesus and Paul to their incantation. And they tried to adjure the spirit to leave in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, however, the spirit answered back, I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul, but who are you? I love that scene. The possessed man jumped on them, beat them up, stripped them, and sent them running from the house, naked and wounded. But when word of this got around, Jews and Greeks alike developed a healthy new respect for the powers of darkness. In the name of Jesus, 
was magnified. You know, we can't dispel the darkness if we underestimate its power and toy with it. That's why we have to expose it in the light of God's word and then renounce it completely. And that's the very next thing that happened in Ephesus, verses 18 through 20. Many also of those who had believed kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of all. And they counted up the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. Believers and unbelievers alike renounced the darkness that had been exposed by the light of Paul's teaching. The believers... Those who had been baptized and had made public their belief in Jesus began coming forward confessing secret sins and hidden involvement in the occult. They realized the powers of darkness were nothing to play with. And those who secretly dabbled in astrology and called the psychic hotline, if they had one, disclosed what they were doing, and they repented. Even their pagan neighbors, those who openly practiced magic and wrote spells and made occult charms, realized they were playing with spiritual forces that could destroy them. So they brought their books and burned them publicly, making sure everyone knew they were renouncing their ties with darkness. I think it's important to note that they burned their occultic, demonic possessions. They didn't sell them. They didn't give them away. They destroyed them so they couldn't spiritually pollute anyone else. And these things were valuable. When they figured their worth, they discovered they were worth 50,000 pieces of silver. A piece of silver was an average day's wage. If we calculate it by today's dollars, they're worth over $5 million. That's a small price to pay to dispel the darkness in society. And if we're serious about dispelling the darkness in our world, we better be willing to do everything the Ephesians did. First, And foremost, to reduce the darkness in our land, we must let our light shine. It's not enough to learn the truth. We've got to share it. What you learn here and in your personal Bible study, tell to others. And I have to ask, when was the last time you told a coworker or a neighbor or a family member what you're learning? And if you don't share spiritual light, don't expect the darkness to go away. And then don't minimize the darkness or the power it has over people's lives. 
respect it for what it is and approach it carefully, prayerfully, and biblically. Don't think you're going to win any spiritual battles with empty spiritual cliches and secondhand religious connections. Make sure you know the enemy for what he is and personally know the one who can conquer him. And finally, don't keep spiritual skeletons in your closet. Confess them and renounce them. Secret sins of any kind can snuff out the light. So don't toy with the devil. If you even question a practice, give it up. Because as Paul said, whatever is not from faith is sin. If you doubt, don't. Very simple. If you doubt, don't. And if there are things you should get rid of, get rid of them. Burn them. Or so destroy them that even the garbage man can't reclaim them. And we've got to get serious about dispelling the darkness if we want this to be a better place. And it will only be a better place if we repent of our sins and allow God to cleanse us so we can indeed be the light of the world. If there's something you need to do to dispel the darkness in your life, do it. And if it needs to be done publicly, I invite you to come and to do so now.